Hello, Jen. Hi, Sarah. I'm Sarah McLean. I'm Jen Reed's Romance. Is Reed's Romance your your actual last name? Is that your birth name? <laughs> you should have seen the court. You should have seen the judge at court today. No. <laughs> Jennifer Prokop. I know it's so it's weird though. I feel like people know me on Twitter. I'm Jen Prokop, but on Twitter you can find me at Jen Reed's Romance. You should find her on Twitter. I found her on Twitter. That's how. We became friends. That's how we... It was faded. We're faded mates. I know. Um, but if we are only Australian, maybe that would be better. If we have any Australian listeners, I want them to, like, record themselves saying mates and then just, like, drop it into a SoundCloud file for us. Yeah. Or or faded mates. That works, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, we're buddies. And it was faded. We are. And that's how we... So we found each other because of romance novels. Of course. Because Jen reads romance and Sarah reads romance also. At one point I remember you saying, and I think it was like in a, a you know, private message or whatever it is on Twitter, that you that you said something like, I think about romance all day. And I thought, oh, me too. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> like, and I just thought if people only knew how much of my quality time I spent thinking about this genre, they would be shocked. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. So I have a almost five-year-old and um, she's obsessed with books and I'm always reading. And usually I'm reading in E and so she can't see the covers. Um, but she now she comes in and she says, mommy, what are you reading? And I say a book and she says, is it about people falling in love? <laughs> and it is like a hundred times out of a hundred. <laughs> yes. It's about people falling in love. And that's, you know, there are worse things in the world than being obsessed with romance novels. Um, When did you start reading Immortals After Dark? So this is actually kind of amazing because I looked back at this. So I definitely read A Hunger Like No Other. I looked it up on my Amazon account, like when it came out. So, you know, what was it? 2005? 2006, maybe? Well, I just so happen to have a copy of it on my desk, Jen. 2006. Okay. So here's the part that I actually think is even more amazing. Um, Look at that cover. Like, the thing I... They're republishing it now with that original cover. And it's gone through, by the way, like a million... Okay, I bought it in 2008. I just looked at my Amazon account. Um, Why does he look like the vampire on the cover of that book? I have no idea. So wait, you're saying that they're bringing this this copy that I have in my hand is the old cover and the new cover? Yes. How fun. Okay, so I've actually written about this book a couple of times on the Book Queen's blog. And the first time around, I I think I just reviewed it as like a throwback Thursday because I was kind of like really interested in exploring like what makes um Like, when does a romance become vintage, I think, was sort of how I framed it, right? Because some romances stick around. I mean, we read them. You know, I mean, why are we still reading Julie Garwood? Why are we still reading, right? So I was really curious to kind of reread this book and think, like, does it have any staying power? Like, right? Or Like, what is it that makes a romance? And and when does that happen? Is it, like, at the 10-year mark that we say, okay, this is definitely going to be a thing that we're all still reading in 20 years. I mean, 
it's really hard to predict that. So I think I was really interested in that and I reread it and I had very little memory, honestly, of it from the first time around Um, and wrote a review where I was sort of, now it was pre me too. And I think some of like the consent issues with a hunger, like no other, which we'll talk about when we talk about the book, like it read a little differently, obviously now, like right 13 years later than it did back, back when I first read it. Um, but I, I think there's so much about it. Obviously you and I agree that, that stick, that we're in a, that just is really powerful still. Um, and one of those things is just really exploring that the heroine is not, she doesn't just stand by the sidelines and scream, right? Like she really is the, a, a strong, powerful figure who is going after what she wants. And I really like that. Um, but I also wrote a whole other post about books that change covers and how covers change over time. And in between the one that you and I are looking at now where he like he looks like the vampire, right? It's very cheesy and he's got like these big long claws. Um, there was one that looked very twilighty. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, of course there was. So I feel like we're jumping the gun a little bit because this is our point five episode. <laughs> right. And um we should probably tell everybody what we're doing here, which is um you're listening to Faded Mates with Jen and Sarah, who are Cressley Cole fangirls. Yes, it's a fangirl podcast, for sure. Like, basically, we decided we talk so much about this book, <laughs> these books, and we reference these books so much in conversation that we should just do a read, a read-along podcast with everybody. Um, so, for those of you who don't know... Um, Cressley Cole is the author of the Immortals After Dark series and other series too, which we will no doubt bring up over the course of this podcast. Um, And the Immortals After Dark is one of the most um, famous paranormal romance series in the genre. Um, And it is now 18 books long. Yeah. And actually, you, I think... I think of you as being like kind of a historian of the genre in some way. I do think about it all day. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. But it, like, so, but I mean, paranormal, like, I think it'd be interesting to talk about like, par- and, and we don't have to do it today, but like paranormal as part of the romance genre, to me, we see it like come up, like kind of rise up post 9-11, honestly, which is like kind of similarly in movie, there's this huge huge ups- uptick in like superhero movies and right it's what are we what are we dealing with here um well i mean it's hard to of course say if, for sure but many of us believe that americans uh post 9-11 were afraid and i mean that was one of the more it, it's certainly short of pearl harbor the only time we've ever had such like a significant attack on soil, on our soil. Um, It felt very present because of 24 hour news cycle and lots of other reasons. Um, And I think that uh, in the time immediately following it, there was a real sense of fear and uncertainty and a desire for um, some kind of security and safety and, um, a, a sense of comfort. And, um, you know, we know that 
readers turn to romances for comfort in times of strife. And what ended up happening with authors like Cressley and J.R. Ward and um, Lindsay Sands and Janine Frost was a sort of huge burst of um, paranormal romances where the heroes, and in Cressley's case, the heroines too, were these enormously larger than life and literally immortal beings who could save the world. And essentially what Cressley has done here, um, the premise of Immortals After Dark, is um, immortals exist. Every single type of immortal you can possibly imagine exists in the world. Um, And they all exist side by side. And they are quite literally immortal. And they live uh, alongside us. The series is largely set in New Orleans. Um, And they live alongside humans. And the concept is um, every 500 years, the universe creates a kind of force called the accession. Um, and it's essentially like a world war between the immortals and factions choose sides and their enemies and there are weird, cool immortals that are born. Um, and the idea is that over the course of this war, um, every 500 years, the immortal herd is thinned and then they are able to live again. Yeah, but it's also new alliances, including like including um, finding new mates, right? So it's like you're thinning the herd on one end, but also creating new couples who are going to spawn new, right? New immortals. New immortals, and in some cases, like immortals who that have never before been seen. Right. So it's both destructive, but also creative, right? Mm-hmm. And and essentially, it's just like a huge shakeup of the whole immortal world. And I think it's it's fascinating because it's really high stakes. I mean, how do you create high stakes for characters that can live forever? And I think this is the way that it's structurally, right? This is the way that it's happening. So I think that's also really interesting. From a reader perspective, a lot, um, you sort of buy into a lot of this wacky bananas plot because um, immor- because you're sort of already in the mix with immortals exist and there's this 500 year war and um, and it's sort of this delicious, you're able to like really leap into the deep end of this like wacky pool and hang out with these crazy characters and like experience all these like wild bananas things and you just buy it. And it's so delicious as a reader to be able to just sort of sink into this wild ride. Um, and I think on top of it, you know, it's so sexy and it's so funny and it's so clever. And even the books that were written like way back in, I mean, way back, <laughs> way back in 2006. Well, in romance that is way back, very, right? very, young. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, you know, they really feel very present. And I should say, I did not read this series until about a year ago. Um, when I read Cress- one of Cressley's other series first, I read um, the Game Maker series, which is a contemporary oh, series yeah. about yes. um, Russian brothers who are mobsters. Um, and I was so, like, totally blown away by, like, how perfect that series was that I finally picked up. Because I'm not a paranormal reader, typically. Right. Um, I read paranormal as a seasoning on my, like the rest of my f- romance food. Um, and I'd never read 
IAD and um, I picked up A Hunger Like No Other and it was what, 2017. And I was so blown. <laughs> I was so in it. First chapter, I was just in it. And, um, and then I read all six, at the time there were 17 books and I read all 17 books in two weeks because I just couldn't, like every time I finished one, I just downloaded the next one. And Eric kept coming in and going, are you reading Monster Mash again? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I... We should have called this podcast Monster Mash. <laughs> you know, it's, it's never too late. We can, we can do whatever we want. Um, although I'm like a copyright infringement. Um, I'm like, I'll be the level-headed one. I So I reread A Hunger Like No Other for this Throwback Thursday review. Um, and then here's the hilarious part. At the end of this review, I concluded that although I very much enjoyed reading it, that there was no way I was going to be sucked into an 18 book series because I basically was doing the math. I was like 18 books at $7 each. This is a huge outlay of cash. And then did you remember the public libraries exist? I did remember that. Pub- <laughs> I mean, that's right. I mean, the great thing about it, a, a series that started a longer, like, you know, with a big backlist is the library has them. So I did. I borrowed a bunch from the library and then I bought some from the Ripped Bodice because I was like, I want to support this bookstore and hey, these are books I'm going to want to read. Um, I got some of the other ones from Book Outlet. So I just was like picking them up here and there and then trying really to pace myself. But I... um it it became more like a snowball effect till until Lothair for me. Like I read those first two, it, 10, I guess it Lothair is, I think the 10th one in a, like a gulp. I just sucked them down because I really wanted to see what was going to happen with him. And then I experienced a little bit of a hangover. I didn't love shadows claim, which came after it. And we'll talk about that many weeks from now. Um, and but the other in in other news, right? Eighteen books later, I own them all, and I own most of them on audio. <laughs> well, of course you do. I think you're the one who told me about it because I was going to be driving somewhere, and I remember being like, "Are these audiobooks any good? I need to start whatever's the one with Declan Chase." And I think you were the one who was like, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Let me come hold you and like whisper in your ear. Yes. And and then I've been pretty much all in with and I'm like, now I should probably calculate how much money I've spent on this series because it's worth it. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I so I came to the I did the same thing where I was reading them. Um, I was just downloading them again and again and again. And then somebody I don't know who told me that I had to listen to them in audio. And so my first audio of this series was Sweet Ruin, which we will talk about. Jen's laughing because it, I'm like obsessed with this book. Like I can't, I've, I've read Sweet Ruin like, I mean, a dozen times. It's obscene. Like his voice is absolutely constructed out of Unbelievably sex, sex molecules. I don't even know how it's happening. I know. The, uh, the, we should name him. He has a name. His name is Robert Petkoff. And he, I'm told, I didn't know this, but um, he is a Broadway actor. So my goal is to like hunt him down here in New York and get him to be on the podcast with us. And just, but only if he agrees to do it in Rune's voice. <laughs> 
as Sarah like melts under her desk. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm gonna try and find a way to just like get that clip. Like we'll embed it or whatever. It's unreal. <laughs> well, we, we have to get. Um, we should say all these books are published. Um, they are published by Pocket, which is a division of Simon and Schuster, and um, Pocket has been super supportive already of this podcast they know we exist they sent us lots of cool books they're gonna they're excited to do giveaways over the course yay. of the podcast so like stay tuned for free books and yay pocket free books is like everything i believe in life i just want you to know that yeah i mean i think that they i think everybody should just be super excited that we're doing a read-along with immortals after dark because it's gonna be awesome you guys we're gonna talk about all the banana stuff um but really i think before we get into all the banana stuff, of which there is a whole lot when you have a world full of vampires and Valkyries and demons and fairies and yes, Lothairs. Um, Lothair, yeah. <laughs> he's his own beast. Um, I think you need to give like a big overview, right? Because it's 18, like sort of tell us. It feels like a lot. I get it. It feels, it feels like a huge amount of, this is a lot to chew. Um, and I think, uh, so first of all, like I said, I'm not a typical paranormal reader. So if you are not a typical paranormal reader, this series could easily work for you. You don't have to worry too much about um, it. The world building is so perfect. It's set in a world that we understand. It's set in the human world. Um, and there are humans in the books. Um, so you sort of have a touchstone for yourself. Um, but the concept is there are, I mean, at the very beginning, we start pretty simple. There are vampires and there are werewolves, and there are Valkyries, and there are witches. That's pretty much it. And demons. Are they? I mean, but yeah, I don't even know if witches and demons show up until book two. Well, the witches turn up because um, the hero, Lachlan uh, McCreeve, who is the hero of A Hunger Like No Other, is um, <laughs> at the beginning of the book, of the first book in the series, he is chained with mystical chains. Uh, witch mystic witches have um i don't know witched <laughs> bewitched <laughs> these i'm really not a paranormal reader you guys <laughs> that's okay witches have um you know witched these um chains enchanted sarah enchanted, enchanted. <laughs> thank you have enchanted these chains uh in the catacombs of paris under you know and uh he is being held there he is a a werewolf and he is being held in these enchanted chains in the catacombs of Paris by his mortal enemies. And we all know who werewolves' mortal enemies are. Vampires. And he's been under there for, like, hundreds of years. And suddenly... Wait, above, don't forget the fire. Oh, right. In <laughs> eternal flame. It's not... Yeah, it's, like, worse, right? And he's immortal. Like, he can't die. So he's just being tortured by flame, like this whole time um and in, and then one day one fateful day he sensed because he's a werewolf and he has an excellent sense of smell he sensed above him on the streets of modern day paris his mate his fated mate and werewolves only have one mate in their whole immortal life so and he's a thousand years old right he has been hoping to find his mate for a long long time and he smells her and she smells delicious and Obviously. so he, he so he does what any self-respecting werewolf who sends his mate would do and he gnaws off his leg <laughs> to get himself 
Oh, out of these chains. The right readers right now are like, yes. <laughs> I mean, so here's my thing. And then he, it regenerates, you guys. He's immortal. The leg regenerates. It's fine. But he's hobbling down. I want you to envision a massive, gorgeous man hobbling down the Champs-Élysées on like a bloody stump of a leg because he has knotted off from his witched chains. And he chases his mate down the road in Paris, and he finds her. And what is she? A vampire. Half vampire. Half vampire, half Valkyrie. So this is Bananas, and this is like chapter one of A Hunger Like No Other. And if it sounds at all interesting to you, you are going to love this series. So, yeah, here's what I want to add, though, because... Please. The thing that I think is really, and I think I've used the word dazzling, which I know sounds like hyperbole, but like ride with me here, everybody, is so that plot is just, it is bananas and it's really compelling. I mean, there's so much like that just draws us into that kind of feeling, right? Like I am in a, like literally, I mean, it's like moonstruck right where she like where have you seen this movie i feel like i've seen moonstruck with Cher. have i seen moonstruck i feel like i i know we could who I could, are you talking to <laughs> sarah just go with me right the part where she's like you chewed off your own foot right remember that <laughs> yes you're a wolf i'm a wolf yeah you the the big part of you has has no words and uh it's a wolf you know, that woman was a trap for you. She caught you and you couldn't get away. So you you chewed off your own foot. That was the price you had to pay for your freedom. You know, Johnny had nothing to do with it. You did what you had to do between you and you. And now, now you're afraid because you know the big part of you is a wolf that has the courage to bite off its own hand to save itself from the trap of the wrong love. That's why there's been no woman since that wrong woman, Okay. You're scared to death of what the wolf will do if you try and make that mistake again. What are you doing? I'm telling you your life. This is something really primal in the way that we think about, I don't know, like this idea Oh my God, do you think Cressley's a Moonstruck fan? (laughs) Sarah. I'm putting it down on our list of questions for Cressley. (laughs) You have to. I could, we could, maybe we'll watch Moonstruck one week. I could recite entire like scenes. Oh yeah. But right, like that. There's something really primal in this, but here's here's my point though. I think that the part that I love as a reader is that all of the ways in which um this I don't know, like I I think she's really doing something very explicit here. And the thing is is I'm I really like to think about I'm like such an English teacher nerd, fine. Um I really like to think about characters' motivations but framed as questions, right? Like, like kind of who am I? And one of the things I think Lachlan then is, you know, he's been under Paris for a couple centuries. He comes up, he's never seen a car before, right? He doesn't know what television is. He's, I mean, you know, like the whole world is mysterious to him. At one point she says, I want to contact my family. And he's like, sure. Cause he thinks she's going to have to write them a letter. He doesn't know she can get on the phone with them in a second. Mm-hmm. And, but I think what's then brilliant about this is it's, it's really the question then for Lachlan is like, what is modernity? Like, right. What does it mean to be modern? And I think that this book is, and, and very explicitly many of the other ones, especially at the beginning of the series, this is a question that she's, she's having the characters grapple with, but I also think it's because she's grappling with it as a romance. What does it mean 
for our characters to be at this cusp where romance is changing and and we can't have these alpha males just like stomping around having their way with anybody anymore so how do i show you a character who comes out of the catacombs that way but he's going to end somewhere different right so structurally like yes it's this bananas question that like right like i chewed off my foot but i also think it's really thematically powerful to be asking a question about like how do we change as a society or as a culture and as individuals in the face of someone we meet who's very different from us and i think that really underpins so much of so much of the series right absolutely and i also think you know, one of the other things, and and people who know me or follow me in the world or have read my books won't be surprised by this at all, but I'm so fascinated by the way that, like, feminism iterates in romance again and again and again. And I think that Cressley, um, every single book, what she does, so you're absolutely right that this is about, like, modernity i think i think you're you're on something with modernity i think you're on something with like how the world impacts these heroes and how these heroes exist can or do or is it possible for them to exist in this new this new world of romance and this new world period but also i think that what cressley's doing and what we see so we often see really underdone um, particularly in in paranormals, is she builds these like tremendously feminist, strong heroines who are unapologetically like strong. And yes. um, what's particularly interesting about this book is that um, Emma, who is the main character, is she starts off as a wallflower. It's a cla- It's like a she is a classic wallflower at the beginning of this book and she evolves and we're going to talk about this more. We're sort of getting, we're getting down the, down the rabbit hole on a hunger like no other. And we're going to do a whole episode on it, but her evolution is the evolution of the romance novel heroine period. Well, and that's why I think like there's actually, I think we could, there's like a little prequel novella called um, the warlord wants forever. And we're not going to start there. Oh, I'm glad that you brought that up. Don't start there. You guys. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll like go backwards, maybe. <laughs> we'll tell you when to get there. Do it our way. <laughs> yeah, do it. Obviously, a hunger like no other is at like like you and I think I think both agree is really like the setup then for like this theme that we're going to see repeating over and over again, which is like what does forever really mean when you have like when you're an immortal, but also like how do you ch- how do you experience change and growth when you're an immortal? Like, right? Like, what does it mean to, like, sort of meet someone and have and know that they're yours, but still have to make, like, change to be with them, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what romance does so well. And I think setting it against such a, a big world, I, I really like, I like paranormal more than you, I think. I like urban fantasy, maybe. Like, I know you don't really read that at all. I read, I'm, I'm a limited reader of urban fantasy because I need more romance. But um, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of paranormal, and I'm not an expert, right? Like, I would love somebody to, like, come in and fight with me on this because I think it could be interesting is very much about like a smaller society, right? Like it's your pack. It's your coven. It's your, 
you know, your little group of people, your vampire nest. So it's, it's really um, insular in some ways, right? And I think one of the things that's amazing about this series is that it, instead of it being really small, right? Like instead it's bigger. And that's something Lachlan has to deal with, right? Like they all have their hidden little fortresses. And instead in this new world, you can't do that anymore. You can't hide away from the world in your castle or in your, right, your, behind your moat. You have to experience the world as it is. And I think that's the other reason it seems different to me than like maybe a typical werewolf romance, you know, where like it's kind of like you're going to, we're going to integrate you into our pack. Now it's kind of like, how does our pack become part of the world? And largely because what she does, and and this is not specific to the first book in the series, this is a recurring theme for her, Um, what she does is she takes these heroes who are insulated from the world or who are, you know, millennia old, and she pairs them with these incredibly powerful young modern women um the whole coven of valkyries um you know they're like obsessed with video games they watch tv all the time they love cars they love they pop love culture anything that has yes. motors they love pop culture they love things that are shiny they're unapologetically like kind of greedy um but in like a delicious way and they're so cool and young and eager for change and modernity and then she pairs them with these like sticks in the mud oh yeah and then or in like lothair's case or in rune's case like exhausted ancient men and they have they are re they are literally reborn in some cases or born period they are they are blood like they are made flesh again by these sort of like young remarkable by by the modern world yeah made flesh in these women right and i think that's so incredibly like i don't know i mean i know as a writer a lot of people see a lot of things in my books that i didn't consciously think about and hopefully cressley cressley has agreed to be a guest on this podcast eventually so we will no doubt ask her this but like i don't know if she was thinking about it but it's just so totally clear that that's what she's doing. Yeah. And you know what, though? I, I, as a teacher, right, I tell my students all the time, I was like, even if you could, like, airdrop this author into my classroom and, and pin them down and ask them these questions, like, they aren't going to necessarily a- answer them, right? Like, this is, this is, once the text is out there in the world, it's for us to sort of grapple with and discover. I mean, that's the reality of writing. Like, the book is not a book until it's in the hands of a reader, I mean, I can I can do what I can try to tell the story I'm trying to tell, but it's not until somebody picks up the book that you know they actually that it actually becomes a story, right? Um, and that's why I th- I think you know we're we're coming up on you know we we said we try to do a short episode this time, <laughs> um, but I do think that there's like I think this is this will give you a taste of what Jen and I are trying to do. Um, in this podcast like we really want to dig deep we want to look at the bones of these books we want to think about like how these books like live in the world we want to and some of the things we're going to talk about over the next you know x number of podcasts who knows how many episodes this will be um are like the alpha male like the alpha female does she exist like what is what does that look like um feminism consent what else I don't know. I, I don't like I'm sort of struggling to like put a like a name on it, but um 
I think one of the most powerful things for me in this book that almost every character is grappling with is regret, right? Like I've, I've, I've made a mistake and, you know, as a person, I'm sure we can all look back and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that thing a week ago or five years ago. What if you are looking back and are like, what about that thing that happened 800 years ago? Yeah. I mean, like at least we can die, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll get over it then. Yeah. Right. Like the, the power, like it amplifies, right? So the mistakes you make with the people you love with your, like in the second book, it's Katarin like loses her sisters and, you know, or like, you know, Bowen traps Mariketa and he has these regrets. I mean, I think like, you know, I, I think that the, that sense of like the, people I love, the decisions I make that impact them are then amplified to the nth degree. Like we can't even put a name on it because it time is this huge magnifying factor. So I think that that's another thing I find really interesting at the character level is that almost every character is, you know, the, the, the weight of time makes every decision even more complex. So I I don't know, like, that's just like a character thing. But then I think structurally, I will say too, like, you know, 18 books, it's it's really hard to maintain, I think, momentum for a a, a series, right? Like, you're like, I've read it before. I'm always joking, like, okay, Stephanie Plum, I am like, right, I'm not here for you anymore. Like, you can't keep me interested if you are not going to have your characters change and grow or your world advance. And I think the other thing that I think is stunning, stunning is how she, um, the, like these early books are sort of very kind of, you know, like typical paranormal in a lot of ways. And then things get more and more complex and she rebuilds like, and reboots the entire system several times along the way with with books like amplifying and telling parts of the story like a kaleidoscope even and you don't really get the whole story until you are you know 18 books in there's some reveal that was like oh god now I see that yeah I mean it's it really is for writers um you know I think over the course of these episodes you'll you'll hear us you know talk as readers and 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 I'll I'm I I won't be able to do this without sometimes talking about just like as a writer, what I continually learn from Cressley. But I feel like every time I pick up one of these books and I've now reread this whole series at least twice and I'm going to reread it, I'm rereading it. This will be my third time. And in in cases of, you know, like Lothair or McGreeve or Sweet Ruin, it'll be my, you know, nth time doing it. Um, And... Every single time I read these books, I learn something new from Cressley about how to build a story or build a character or, you know, tell, tell, like build a world. And she is, she's just, she's one of the very, very best writing. And I'm so excited for this podcast to happen. Me too. Me too. And I think the, I don't know, the lens I bring is often as a reader. And I think, um, obviously, but I, I think the way she advances um, character through action is really unparalleled. And not without bogging us down in it. Like, I was reading this book, I was reading this erotic romance the other day. And it was about like, the hero had this like, was like a rope person. <laughs> like, had a lot. He was really into rope, like really into tying people up, right? And um, it's sexy. I'm here it's, for it. It's. I really just kept having this like vision of sausages because 
like it was just too much. Like there was just too much discussion of like the minutia of the, of the knots and the ropes. And, and part of me was like, I get like, there, there are ways to paint. It's hard. It's hard to paint a picture like that and make sure the reader understands the world that you're building and the characters' obsessions um, the way that you want them to without, you know, really just, you know, hitting somebody over the head with it. And I feel like with Cressley, there's like, it's such, the world is so rich and so clear, so completely vivid. And I feel like I see every corner of it. And it's such a light touch in the reading. Like, you barely see the world building as it's happening around you. It's really, I mean, it's, it's like inception, but much easier to understand. Yeah. As I've been listening, I've been like sort of taking notes about like, especially, you know, when you're rereading it, you see the seeds that she's planting. I mean, and it's not just one book in advance. Sometimes it's 10 books in advance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, and so, I mean, I'm sort of fascinated by that too, is like, is, you know, just sort of how she's advancing the plot, the over, you know, the overall plot, the plot of any given book, the arc of any given character, right? Like it's a tremendous accomplishment. And I think, um, you know, and, and then like the different groups of people and what they need and what they want. And, you know, I'm convinced that she has like, not just like a murder wall, but like a, a murder warehouse, like, right. (laughs) Where like, it is all, (laughs) lots of yarn, lots of yarn. Well, because it is like, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Well, maybe we should build our own murder wall. On oh our, my gosh. Like I mean, digital. Yeah. Because there are, and also, I mean, as people start to read, start to listen and, and read along, there are going to be characters who continually, you're going to want their books and those books don't exist yet. And, uh, and I, I just hope we're going to, we're going to get a, a bunch of, you know, Cressley heads out of this. <laughs> um, so that said, um, I'm trying to think if there's like, have we missed anything? I feel like we covered a lot. No, I mean, I think, so the plan is, um, we're going to do this podcast. We hope you will read along with us. We're going to have, um, special guests, celebrity guests along the way. Um, we've already got a a bunch already locked in. Yeah. All you really need to be is a fan girl or fan boy or fan non-binary person of however you identify and contact us. And we're going to be like, yes. Yeah. Come talk if with you're a huge Cressley fan, find us online. Uh, hashtag faded mates pod. Um, and uh, also, so where can everybody find you, Jen? Um, where can you find me? I am mostly on Twitter talking about romance at Jen Reads Romance. I have a website I created to help people find like a like find a romance based on like trope or theme, and that's JenReadsRomance.com. And then I occasionally write um full scale reviews, but I'm at the point now where I'm like I say I like I have to be working through some things. So um at the Smart Bitches or for the Book Queen. Cool. What about you? I am Sarah McLean. I'm a writer. You can read my books. You should read her books. That's very kind. I write historical romances. Um, but, you know, I think that you'll like them, even if you're a paranormal reader. Here, let me, let me paint you a picture, everyone. In every single Sarah McLean book, the heroine at least once will wear pants. It's, I don't know if that's 100% true, but it feels like it's right. It feels like it's 100% true. I'm pretty sure it's true. I'm all like, it's true. Yeah. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's the plan. 
My my like brand is like she rescues him right back, like from Pretty Woman. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So I anyway. So you can find me at sarahmclean.net, um, or you can find me on Twitter at Sarah McLean or on Facebook at Sarah McLean. Um, I try to keep the ceremony and Instagram is my new thing. I really love Instagram. Sarah McLean. And you also on your website have a bunch of romance recommendations because both of us are basically really invested in getting as many people as possible to read more romance. I read about a book a day. I also review them for the Washington Post. So it's pretty great because it's also my job. Yeah. And, um, and so I review for Kirkus too, but you don't, I don't have a byline there. So you never know what I review. Right. But I, um, I think that, uh, everybody should read romance novels. (laughs) And so I have a list of like almost 200 romances that I really love across the board from, you know, Cressley to (laughs) non-paranormal, um, old, new, um, queer, straight, uh, everything. Yeah. Own voices, right? Lots of own voices, lots of like, uh, contemporaries, lots of historicals. I sort of, I try to run the gamut. Anything that I read, a lot of, you know, erotica. I don't, I don't read a ton of inspirational, but, um, there are some inspirationals on there too, if you're interested. And, uh, several Cressley Cole books, as you are probably not surprised anymore to hear. So, um, find us again in a couple of weeks, two weeks. We will read A Hunger Like No Other. Right. And it's going to be better. You should read it or listen to it. And then when we talk about it and refer to scenes, you'll all know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And if you're reading it in advance um, and you have something to say about it, uh, hashtag FadedMatesPod. Yes. We should make a new Twitter account for that. We should. Too much like, oh, who's going to run a Twitter account? I know. I'm like, too much work. We're You're just- in charge. <laughs> Not it. <laughs> thanks for listening to faded mates pod thanks everybody see you soon whole insult right now because i like to write down like my favorite insult of like every book mm-hmm. um it's kind of a preview of hunger like no other but at one point regan who was another valkyrie calls lachlan ace mcfuck up and I, <laughs> and I was like i'm gonna write that down <laughs>